Welcome back to Herald Review Outside the Box Podcast. I'm sports reporter Joey Wagner with sports editor Justin Kahn. We are on the phone with IHSA playoff expert, sports editor of the Joliet Herald News, Steve Susi. You probably tweeted at him asking for, I don't know, Steve, everything, I, I think, with regards to the playoffs, where their teams are going to end up, and more recently, what districts they're going to be in. Uh, it kind of seems like you get a lot of questions about, about high school football in the playoffs. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's one of those things that I, I guess I've developed a niche. Um, <laughs> it's I, I've been kind of flying around these playoff processes for the better part of two decades now, so I think I've got a pretty good handle on it. They keep changing the thing up on me, so there's always stuff to talk about. <laughs> well, you, you know, the district thing is, I guess, probably more than, a little more than a month old, close to a month old, whatever month it is now, but if you've had time to kind of to digest it, what are your thoughts on this and, and what it could mean for Illinois football? Well, I, I think there are, there are a lot of ramifications to it that uh, that I, I, I guess I've been concerned through the whole process of whether or not everybody was as educated on it as they maybe could have been when they voted because, I mean, we're going to get some concentrations of scope together in certain areas where uh, you know, maybe some of the parties involved are not going to be too happy about some of the opponents that they're playing. Uh, and the schools have basically ceded control to the Illinois High School Association in regard to how most of their schedule is going to be put together. So there's probably going to be some things and some situations that come out of that that uh, I think some of the schools that both supported it and didn't support it Maybe he won't be all that pleased with. So the the thing that you know we have uh, Maroa Forsyth head coach Josh Joseph is a is a big proponent of this, and I think he's I don't want to say led the charge in our area, but he's definitely been at the forefront of it. And, and a point he made to Justin that I thought was interesting is that I I think a lot of coaches and maybe some fans wanted to see a projection before before this thing came through and, and media and media <laughs> yeah. And, and he said, you know, I think some of the goal was for people to vote on this based on the principle of it, not the projection. What where, where do you land on that line of thinking? Because I, I can see it both ways. You know, Coach and I have actually talked about this, and, and he kind of expressed that to me this past summer. He expressed that very same sentiment. And, you know, I think, I, I think that, you know, the problem with that in general was that I thought that the principle that they were suggesting might have been a little bit too vague. Uh, there were some things in there that were not addressed and kind of left people questioning, well, how are they going to handle this and how are they going to handle this? And nobody can tell from the, uh, I guess, the limited uh, view that the actual voting proposal actually was. I mean, people wanted to know what happens to the multiplier, what happens to the success formula, how do you give home games in the playoffs? I mean, these are things that, that, the, uh, that the proposal itself did not address and left a lot of questions that really had very little to do with the actual principle itself unanswered. But I think if they maybe would have been a little bit more concrete on on how some of those things were going to be handled in the proposal itself, uh, I mean, I think there would have been less negative feedback to not having an actual hard copy, hey, this is what this might look like in front of them. Um, I, I think for some people, I kind of alleviated that with, with doing it myself. But even I, I'll, I'll readily admit there's probably a lot of things inside of what I've done that may not look anything like what actually turns out to be the reality of this thing. But I felt like it was probably better 
to give people as much information as they wanted uh, available to them to make the decision rather than leaving it vague and leaving a lot of things up in the air where where people just didn't know. Um, so that's kind of, I guess philosophically, I understand what Coach is saying there. Um, I guess in practice, I'm not sure if it was the best thing served for all parties involved. Steve, it was the projections that you did before, uh, you know, in a little bit there before uh, the vote and everything, I thought was a really impressive undertaking. I don't know that a lot of people necessarily, you know, I know personally it felt like too big of a job, you know, and, and so I want to really, you know, say how impressive that was. And I want to talk a little bit about your process on that. But, but first of all, why do you think this passed now? I mean, conferences or teams have jumped conferences, you know, this isn't new. I mean, we, we've seen this for you know, decades, and, uh, you know, I don't know that it's been any worse in recent years than, than in fact, in our area, things have kind of stabilized a little bit. Why did this, ha- why did this pass now? You know, it, it, it was, I'll be honest, when it passed, I was quite surprised, because yeah. the general feedback that I had received, and I had talked to a lot of people about this, you know, from, from all sections of the state, I mean, people were reaching out, and I encouraged people to do so. That wanted to talk about it, and you know, I I would I would have guessed that I probably talked to somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 to 250 school districts over the course of the past six months on this topic, and you know, I don't know how they went behind closed doors and ended up voting, but I would say of those conversations that I had, the percentage of people that were against it was significantly higher than the percentage that I got that was for it. Uh, that may have been just because that, that was the group that was reaching out to me for fear that it was something that may go through and they wanted to know everything that they could. Maybe I just got a strange cross-section of the actual teams in the state. But, you know, I really can't answer that because I kind of agree with what you're saying there. I felt like over the last couple of years it was it was stabilizing a little bit more. And I know there, there are some schools in the state that continue to struggle in the current system and putting their schedule together. But I really feel like after looking at this and going through all this, I think we just did a fairly sufficient job of shifting those problems. The schools that were having problems have lost those problems, but they simply shifted those those issues to another school. So I don't know how much we really solved here. So that's what I kind of look at here. They're like the, the, the schools that have to build their, their teams with out-of-state schools and stuff like that. I mean, that's, that's arguably going to go away in almost every circumstance, and that's a good thing, but uh, but I think there are other problems that have cropped up for different school districts now where they're going to be like, good, how is this better for us? Mm-hmm. So I think rather than alleviating a lot of the maybe issues that we have, I think we've just shifted them. Steve, one thing that uh, Coach Joseph had, had also talked about was uh, talked a lot about was the effect on the other sports outside of football, and I, I think that was uh, you know a big motivation you know, for him and, and Maroa was that, you know, their girls' basketball team was traveling to, to Petersburg Porta. You know, their, their freshman girls' basketball team was tra- traveling to Petersburg Porta because the football team, you know, got left out of a, a conference shuffle. And, and I mean, I, I guess, how do you see, you know, as far as the other sports affecting the other sports, and is that maybe the biggest pro? Well, I think, you know, I, I think one of the things that we've kind of gotten all jumbled up in here is that, that, I don't know if necessary, and now we're kind of going away from this with this proposal. Um, you know, I don't know why we fundamentally have to marry 
why can't football be isolated? Because that's what we're doing now. I mean, I'm not sure why when we made all of these conference shifts that were generated by football, I'm not so sure why we had to take the other sports all with them to begin with. Um, you know, some of the some of the conferences that we have now that maybe are strung out geography because of because of the existence of needing to have those football teams in a league. I, I don't know why we maybe just didn't break football off and leave some of the more regional conferences in other sports alone and just kind of do do a football only thing. It's what we're doing now. I don't know why we needed this proposal to do that for us. I'm not sure why we didn't just kind of break football off and treat it as its own entity because its existence was creating a lot of problems for other sports. I mean, there are a lot of small school conferences out there that uh, that kind of broke up largely due to football teams needing to go to a league and this and that and the other. I, I'm not so sure that we maybe made a misstep about a decade ago when we started making these conferences that were football-generated. I don't know why we didn't maybe just go off on a football-only road at that point in time and kind of leave those conferences for other sports alone. I, I think that was a that was a tactical maneuver, a mistake that a lot of people made. I want to say maybe 10 to 15 years ago, we started to go to some of these conferences that were that were really led by what it meant for the football program. I didn't. I don't know why we maybe just didn't treat football as an isolated entity. We've demonstrated over time it's pretty isolated to begin with. It's the only sport that we have where everybody doesn't get into the postseason. I don't know why we didn't just we just continue to go down that path and kind of kind of keep it that way, separated from the other stuff. That, that's a great point. Yeah. Now, do you think do do you see you know schools around the state? Um, do you think this will all of a sudden really shuffle uh, as far as the non-football, you know, sports go? Do you think that we'll see a lot of of movement, or, or how do you? I mean, I, I think that's a really, I, I don't know, maybe the most intriguing question about this is, you know, you know, will the dominoes start to fall with that? You know, I think the, the interesting thing that I think is going to come out of this from a football perspective is how do the, some of these football programs that are maybe being placed in geographic districts that are not all that easy for them. How do they deal with, you know, their 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 JV programs or their mm-hmm. sophomore programs or in some cases their freshman programs, which aren't, uh, to my understanding, are not included in this, the district formula. Are we going to have a whole other structure of scheduling where you'll go back to playing your neighbor in, in JV football even if they're not in your own classification. I, I think that's the most sensible way to handle this. And I think maybe that, from that, uh, I think we, we, we may have some more of those those neighborhood conferences kind of coming back together uh, just because it makes sense. I mean, it, it's one of those things that we've seen, we've seen the damage that the, foot, the footprint of football has done to some of those leagues. Uh, I think the only the only sensible thing to do in a lot of these situations would be, you know, I mean, we're going to have teams that sometimes have to play with district partners that are, you know, two hours away. What's the sense in continuing to play those teams and you know, at other levels or other things of that nature? So I'm hopeful that it helps repair some of the some of the damage that maybe has been incurred over the past ten or fifteen years. But I think that's something that I don't think we're going to have an answer for for quite some time. I think as we talk to a lot of coaches in our area, and I think for for us, at least I noticed some of the concern coming for small schools south of Decatur 
uh, there seemed to be this fear of just not knowing, right? They didn't know what was going to happen in 2021. They had no idea who they were going to play. To me, it makes sense for the IHSA now to come out and say, okay, here's what it what a district would have looked like for these past two years. This won't necessarily be the 2021 districting, but if this were in place, this is what it would have looked like. And to me, that seems relatively harmless to give some of these these schools uh, at least a general thought as to what this could bring. Uh, do you agree with that, or where do you land? Well, I mean, obviously I did something very right. much like it, so I'm kind of right. an advocate of that. Uh, you know, I'm always an advocate of of allowing people the opportunity to kind of get an idea of what something looked like and, and just making sure that, that there's a caveat in there that says, you know, enrollments are going to change. And that's the one thing that I think when a lot of people talk about, like, projecting this and all that situation, you really have to consider that in two years, I mean, very small enrollment changes in school districts can change the, the landscape of the classifications pretty considerably. When you consider the fact that in Class 2A, for example, there's only a 97-student range from the bottom of 2A to the top of 2A. That's, that's all 64 teams. That's the gap that we're talking about across the entire state. 97 students, the smallest school in 2A to the, top, to the, to the biggest school in 2A. So that's not a very big range. And obviously, if you have a five or a six student change in the uh, in in the two year enrollment pocket, which is a really really easy thing to do, you can change an entire classification. You can go up one, you can go down one. I mean, it it's that small of a margin. So when you when you're talking about that, you really won't have a complete picture of who you may play until those enrollment pockets come out. I would assume they're going to come out in late 2020, but that's the thing. I mean, there's just so much not knowing, and that's why I was kind of surprised that this policy passed from the get-go, because the, the overwhelming comment that I got from everybody, even people that were for it, were like, we just don't know right now. And I think that's 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 a dangerous thing to just, to just not have a lot of knowledge of what's going on. And it's just a lot of pre-planning. When you think about it, like, we're going to be in a situation when it comes when it comes time to implement this process, where you know administrators, staff, programs, all these other things are probably going to have somewhere in the neighborhood of about five months to orchestrate all the things that go with getting a football schedule to come together. Officials, you know, setting up game dates for you know game dates and times and all this other stuff. Usually, these these, these programs and athletic uh, athletic directors and all these people have years to set these things up. And it's going to be a very, it's going to be a much smaller window. It's going to be one of those things that they, you know, that they're going to have to, they're going to have to speed up the prep process. And it's going to be a very different uh, type of landscape for, for some teams in the state. Like, and I was looking at this and I did a deeper dive on some of the teams in our area. I haven't done it for everybody in the state. But there are teams in the state by, through this new proposal, if you take their 2018 schedule that we just concluded, there are teams that will have absolutely no opponents from that schedule in this district formula. There's reasons for that, but their, their schedule is going to look entirely different. The opponents they play, the ways that they deal with, you know, setting up how they go to games. I mean, you're, you might have you might have a schedule where all your opponents are 90 miles away, and you have to change everything that you do. So it's it's a very layered and complicated. I mean, there's a lot of things now that we take for granted in the current system that you just kind of expect. 
uh, that a lot of them are just going to go away. Well, and I, and I talked to a couple coaches, and you know, maybe on the surface it feels like, well, we just have to schedule two games, and you know the other seven are taken care of, and we can schedule them from anybody. But the more you kind of talk to these coaches and realize this is those two games to schedule could be very difficult, right? I mean, a lot of these coaches, they, they either want to play, you know, maybe a neighbor rival or, or another program of similar success, and suddenly it, it feels like maybe these two games start filling up, and, and there could be some some teams kind of still left scrambling to fill those games. Well, you know, I'm fascinated with to see with the approach that some of these teams are going to take, because I've got a wide swath of opinions from people that I've talked to about the non-district games. There are some that that are blunt about it, and they say, "Well, it doesn't. It, 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 they are not currently at this time. They will not count against playoff qualification." And some coaches have openly told me that I don't plan to risk anything in these games. I'm going. I'm going to play somebody that uh, you know. Just to, I'm going to treat it like a glorified scrimmage because I don't want to get my running back hurt. I don't want to get my team banged up in a game that doesn't count. So my concern about that whole situation is is that we might reach a point where the large majority of those games that we get, those games being played in weeks one and two, are just that. They're glorified scrimmages because teams are fearful of them. The games have no consequence. So what's the, what's the risk? What's the reason or what would be the reason for me to risk uh, injury or something happening to my program in a game that doesn't count? And so I, think, I think that's one of the real drawbacks of this proposal, and I'm real interested to see how teams approach it. I, I think people will find games. What, what I do think will be interesting to see is what those motivations are in those games. And I, I agree with you because I, I think that's where the average fan is going to be hurt the most outside of, you know, in some instances, travel is, as it's set up now, every nine of these things, every, every one of these nine games matters. And, and then you suddenly take two out and you know, what's for some people, what's the point in going and watching a glorified scrimmage? I think some schools are going to find that to be not very ideal when this thing starts to really happen. Yeah, and, and I mean, the fact that they, they really have no consequence at all, right. you know, it doesn't help in seeding, it doesn't do anything for you in the grand scheme of things. I mean, I actually had one coach jokingly tell me he's planning on, uh, on scheduling, you know, trying to see if he can bring in five teams for like a jamboree type of session. So I don't know if he was joking, but he's like, yeah, give us an opportunity to see five or six different styles of play. We'll play a half and none of us will count it. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it, 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 it was, I think he was kind of joking, but I think he was kind of half serious too. And he's like, so, I mean, it, taking away competitive games, uh, you know, I, I never think is a good idea. Uh, granted, I mean, in whatever format you play, whatever conferences, obviously you're going to have a couple of games during the year that are not very competitive. But to just start from the opening gun and say, this game doesn't mean anything, I think sets a dangerous precedent. Now, Steve, you know, I mentioned earlier how daunting the process seems of, you know, projecting these or when the IHSA actually sits down to, to do these districts. And I'd love to know what your process was uh, when you did uh, both the projection you did before um, the vote and, and, and the one you've done since. And also, um, I mean, did you try to take into account at all maybe how the IHSA, how you thought the IHSA would, would approach it, maybe based on how they've done, you know, regionals and things in other sports, or, or you know, how did you approach it? Well, 
Well, I mean, it's a very difficult thing with this this particular football proposal to look at past, I guess, this, uh, the way that they've grouped other sports. Because, like, you know, in general, in your basketball or your baseball and softball and games of that nature, we've got four classes in sports now, so you can get kind of a, a general geographic idea of how they're going to handle things. But in football, we're, in this proposal, we're dealing with a much more narrow group of teams for each classification. When you, when you look at the, some of the big classes, for example, I was talking to somebody about this recently. Of the 64 teams that are in Class 8A, 51 of them are in Chicagoland. <laughs> and that's just the Chicagoland area with the, with the outreaching suburbs. I'm not even talking about schools that you kind of consider close to Chicago. 51 of the 64 in that jet, just in that really tight geographic region. So it'll make your head spin if you sit down with those and just mark them on a map and say, okay, how do I, how do I group these in eights? Because it's so congested in that area with teams. You pull them north to south. You pull them east to west. You do a combination of the both. How do you do it? So it becomes very tricky. And the other problem with using past precedents from the IHSA is if, if I look at a football playoff from, say, seven years ago and say, okay, they put this team in the south bracket, they put this team in the north bracket, and then I can look five years from now and, and see the same situation, they might be reversed. It's all about context. And that's what makes it really, really tricky, not knowing exactly what, how the, they have a computer mapping program at the IHSA. I've asked, they won't share it with me. <laughs> Believe me, I'd love to pick that thing apart. Um, but it's, so that's what's going to happen here, especially for the first one. I, I really genuinely believe they're going to plug in. They're going to plug in the coordinates. They're going to spit. Then the map's going to spit out what the districts are. And I think that first that first run through the districts might be pretty messy because I think we're going to get some districts that are are not real equitable to maybe a neighboring district that has more uh, more quality football programs. I think eventually we'll probably get to some sort of. I guess balancing plan where maybe where you have a lot of teams in the same in the same geographic area where you kind of maybe mix them up a little bit to kind of get a little bit more competitive balance. But I think that first one is going to be real interesting to see how they break them up because I don't think they're going to do much tweaking with it. I think they're going to have you're going to have some districts that are really, to be completely honest, weak, and you're going to have some districts that are really, really strong. And that's what the latest projection kind of bore out was. You know, some of these districts are going to have five or six teams that are used to, at the very least, making the playoffs, if not making the playoff run. And then that district next door is going to have a bunch of teams that are going to make it, be making playoff T-shirts for the first time in school history. So that's that's just the way that this thing is going to work. And, and I, my problem with it in general, I mean, I have a couple problems, major problems with it, but one of my one of my problems with it. And it's pretty rigid in its design. It's like you can look at a map and, and of all the three A teams in the state and think to yourself, wow, there are 10 teams over in this little pocketed area in the state that would make a great district. The problem there is you can only have eight of those teams. And then what do you do with the other two? Which two are they? Where do they go? Because, I mean, you, there's no variance here. You've got eight teams. You can't you can't bump it to nine when it's convenient. You can't drop it to seven when you need to. So I mean, there's there's not a lot of flexibility in this, and that's where I think we're going to run into a lot of hiccups when you look at the initial districts. That's a good point. I, you know, in, in our Decatur area, we, Justin and I have been trying to figure out what would 
would be different, who, who would be the benefactors from this, and the ones that came to our mind were MacArthur and Eisenhower, right? I mean, the CSA, as it's constructed now, ha has got some real powers in it, but those powers are spread across three different classes, and none of yeah. those powers, are not, very, not very often do they reside in 5A. You know, M MacArthur and Eisenhower feel like they could be teams that, that could benefit from this. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things that you have to look at, especially in some of the, I guess it, it, it's applicable to a lot of conferences. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you look at it, you look at your conference and you say, okay, these guys are close to us, but a lot of conferences around the state, and a lot of people don't realize this, sometimes have teams from as many as three different classifications. So in this formula, those teams are all going to go in different directions. A conference that has three fours and fives all the threes are going to go in one direction the fours in another and the fives in another so those those teams are all going to are going to spread out on their equal arms and you're right i feel like in, in that case in particular this this helps them because they're uh they're no longer going to be connected to um you know the the power programs that are bigger than them on the top of that conference they're i think and I say this very lightly right now, I think that they'll also be free of Rochester yep, because yep. Rochester's very, very close to the 5A enrollment line for this situation. So Rochester may still find itself at 5A. So that's that's a, that's a distinct possibility that could happen. So that's one of the interesting little bubbles about this. There are some interesting teams that sit on the bubble line between classes and classifications right now. But you're right. I think there are, when you look at that, that across the state, mm -hmm. what you need to tend to look for is, is solid programs that uh, that maybe have been playing over-classified teams uh, for lots of years in the league that they're in. Uh, that definitely opens up some windows for teams like that. Maybe a team, a 5A team that's been playing a lot with a lot of sixes and sevens over the years. Uh, yeah, this is going to open up a schedule for them that uh, is a little bit more equitable. Now, Steve, we're still obviously a couple of years away from, from seeing this uh, you know, in action, and and so that leaves a little bit of time here. And, and I, I, with a vote have, having been so close, and, and obviously, you know, looking at some of the issues that, that exist with this, do you think that there will be any schools that I don't know, try to fight this? You know, I was asked this earlier today too, um, and this is a this is an interesting question because you know I think. And I would not be surprised. I, I'm not. I'm not operating with any inside knowledge or anything when I say this. I would not be surprised if, when next year's bylaw votes come up, that if there's not a proposal on there that suggests that we go back to the original format, <laughs> and it doesn't hurt to do that if you're a school that's that has a vested interest against this. It, what does it hurt to run it through the process? So. It would not surprise me if that happened because, I mean, some of the people that I've talked to are really, really not happy with this. And and the underlying thing is that they were they were making statements about, and I don't know if there's going to be any change about this. Why were why were programs that don't have that don't why were schools that don't have football programs allowed to vote on this? Which I think is a valid question. Yeah, that is. I'm not necessarily against. Uh, having that at least addressed why that was allowed. Um, you know, I, I personally think that for something that's sweeping, if you have a co-op program that has three different high schools involved in it, I don't know why that that 
particular co-op group should have three votes on this. Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem necessarily fair to me either. That's, I mean, that, I mean, I understand that they're involved in the process, but my personal opinion on this, for something that, that, that this sweeping and affects football programs only, I, I personally think that it should have been one program, one vote. And that's that's my personal stance on it. So it would not surprise me if this is this is not the last we've heard of the current playoff system. Um, I'm not saying that it would pass if they if they ran it through there, but I think that uh, it it wouldn't shock me if it was on the on the proposal list next year to uh, to th- to roll it back out there again, especially after some of the speculation has come out as to what this really means there might be a few uh, there might be a few schools out there that are having buyer's remorse <laughs> and the relative closeness of the vote um, you know maybe that could change something Steve this is our, our final question and I know you've you've gone over these several times uh, I'm looking I'm wondering what this which schools come to mind as geographically just in a really bad spot I'm thinking East St. Louis would be one of them and 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 Pekin, my, my hometown, would be another one. Or, am I missing any? Are there schools that just, are, are whichever way you cut it, are, are going to face a lot of travel time that, that come to mind right away in your projections? Yeah. Yeah, there, I mean, obviously the Metro St. Louis area schools are a problem for the district proposal because there are so few of them that are, that are I mean, they're all each kind of dotted in each other class. The big one, uh, from, a, from a geographical perspective, no matter what district you put Moline in, mm-hmm. it is a problem for every other team in the district because they are going to have to make that trip to Moline or Moline is going to have to come to them. And the two schools in Quincy, um, they are, they are not, they're not logical fits with Quincy, Notre Dame, and Quincy in any district that you put them in. Um, it's a little bit better. Uh, with Quincy, Notre Dame, there's some options there that are at least somewhat close to them. But uh, that's, that's the drawback here. When, when you've got a, a system that doesn't allow you to go across classifications and narrows the list of opponents that you can play across the entire state to essentially 63 or 64 other teams, there's going to be some extended travel times required to keep everyone involved in this process. So it, that's one of the more difficult things to do about this. Because sometimes you've just got a geographical outlier. Even some of the of the larger classes, where you think that that wouldn't be the case, that there's just a team that's kind of hanging out there, maybe an hour and a half away from everybody else. It's got to be put somewhere, and, and logic would dictate it could be put in four or five different districts. So you can you can look at it until you're blue in the face, and, and in some cases I have. <laughs> uh, but the, like I said, there are there are mapping issues with those schools in particular, but. There are quite a few other ones, too, because like I said before, sometimes you can really look at the map and see a, a nice, healthy concentration of 9 or 10 or even 11 teams that have kind of isolated themselves from like the rest of the state. And you'll see that more commonly in southern Illinois, but, but you won't, you've only got districts of 8. So it becomes a, a real kind of matching game to decide which teams get to stay in that nice little geographic bundle and and which one's got to go make that trip outside to go find some other district partners. So it's going to be really intriguing to see how some of those decisions are made when we finally do get to that point. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to it. 
Perfect. Hey, Steve, you know, I, man, I appreciate the time, probably a little more than, than you bargained for when I reached <laughs> out to you, but it was incredibly insightful. I appreciate all the work you do to, to kind of give people projections, both now and, and during the playoffs, and thanks a lot for the time. Thanks, Steve. Hey, absolutely, absolutely no problem, guys. Thanks a lot for having me. All right, man, we'll see you. Bye.